Welcome to Alchemical Dialogues, a special Amber Light podcast panel. Join Dr. Henry Cortella with Ode Chenet, Tanya de Magellan, Joel Lessies, and Margot Van Etten for part two of their discussion on spirituality and religion, similarities, differences, and implications. The information provided on this website and these podcasts is for informational purposes only. Nothing on this website and in these podcasts is intended to be a substitute for medical, health, therapeutic, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed by the guests in these podcasts are not necessarily the opinions of Amberlight International and anyone associated with this organization. So welcome back, everyone. For those of you that are listening, if you haven't listened to our first podcast on spirituality and religion, I really suggest that you do that. We had a pretty intense discussion on what the differences and similarities and overlaps might be between spirituality and religion. And I'm not sure we all agreed, but I think we were coming close. And this second podcast is going to delve a little more into the implications of of that. So I want to reintroduce uh, the panelists. And again, please listen to the first podcast. But welcome again, Ode Azizanur, Margot, Tanya and Joel. Let me summarize again. What I think we are coming up with is that religion is more structured. Structured in terms of culturally, it's something people share. Dogma, what their belief system is. Spirituality is more like the essence that fuels the religion. And Tanya introduced the word din that Margot thinks is kind of a transition between the two. Not quite as structured as religion might be, but not quite as, I don't know if loose is the right word, but as unstructured as spirituality might be. Is that a fair summary, more or less? Because I'm not even sure I agree with my own summary, but that's what I think we were kind of getting to. So to start this off, I think there are huge implications to what we're talking about. So again, from a developmental perspective, I think much of what we're talking about and how we're talking about it is reflective of how conditioned we are. We cannot think out of the box. We can't imagine not having some sort of structure. It makes us all nervous. I mean, to me, that came out loud and clear. Personally, I get nervous with that too. I want to be, in, in spite of me saying how diverse I would like to be, I got to admit, I'm more comfortable with people I recognize and people who share similar beliefs. And it's really a stretch, especially if people have beliefs that are quite different or they're coming from a cultural or other orientation, including religious or spiritual, that's very different and foreign to me. And I, I don't know. It's like I've lost my anchor. I, I'm, I feel lost. For me, that's the era that we're getting into. The new, I don't know what form it's all going to take, but there's something new that's developing that's much wider, much broader, much more feminine, collaborative, interactive. We're breaking down barriers. That's happening naturally, and boy, is there a backlash. There's a political backlash. There's a religious backlash. There's a cultural backlash. So in terms of implications, I think religion's on the wrong side. Religion 
thinking of it the way we've been discussing it is on the side of no, 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 stay in your box. This is your box. Be comfortable. It will bind you together. And at best, I can tolerate these other ones, but they're not as good as mine. And don't force that on me. Spirituality is more in line with what box? Except, this is going back to what Ode had said earlier, where she said, yeah, you could have a culture where there's no spirituality, where there's no, she used the word sacralization. There's just, all right, we want to be nice to each other, but there's no sense of, there's something greater than all of us, whatever you want to call that. I, don't, I try not to use the word God anymore because that comes with a lot of other baggage too. But when you lose that sense, oh sure, you can run into trouble, but that's not spirituality, that's secularization. So for me, and this is the seed thought that I want to present to the panelists, is religion is promoting continued conditioning to think that we have to have the degree of structure that I think is slowing us down and creating all the conflict, not all the conflict, much of the conflict in the world. And it's there because we're afraid. We're afraid of what's going to happen if we really, really do relate without that boundary. Not that there's no boundary. Again, uh, Din, I think that's spirituality, by the way, but maybe there's something different. Or what Ode said in, uh, earlier, yeah, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. None of us are saying that. Some people will say that. Some people will say, you, you don't need any greater power. You just have to be nice to each other. Even the Dalai Lama says, the best religion is kindness. Just be kind. To me, that's spirituality. But some people, that's, they get an allergic reaction to that word too. So that's how I would like to start. I think for me personally, and when I'm presenting to the panelists and to those that are on the recording, I think there are a lot of implications to what we're talking about. So Tanya, you got your hand up first. So yeah, the way we think about religion now, right, is very different from what religion was intended to be originally, right? I mean, we think about religion and and we think about war and we think about institutions and we think about uh, this idea of thinking that I'm right, you're wrong, and this is how you have to be. This is the way, right? And it's, it's almost unavoidable to think like that about religion because what we've seen, I mean, look at what happened in Iran or look at what's happening everywhere. Like, for example, the hijab, right? It was, it was meant to be a choice. It was a symbol and not something imposed by man, right? <laughs> So this is the concept that, and I feel that more and more spirituality and religion, they're just parting separate ways, just because what we've seen, I just want to say that those in power, those, this system of patriarchy is a system of control and they have used not only religion to mask their colonialization, to mask this intent of control and power and to maintain the power. They have also used science. They have committed atrocities in the name of science. They have committed atrocities in the name of democracy. 
does that mean democracy is, is, is wrong or, or science is wrong? Or This is my thinking, that if we want to decolonize our land, we also have to decolonize our religions from that patriarchy, from that uh, concept of power and control. It's not, it was not intended to do that. And just real quick, I just want to clarify a point that I didn't clarify in the, in the, in the first part. Uh, when I mentioned the five parts, uh, connection, language, expression, symbol, and traditions, I just wanted to say that it all, all comes together with the ritual. And I don't think I clarified, I didn't mention that in the first part. Yes, thank you. But even rituals, right? So I've done a little bit of studying with the work of Michael Mead. He's very into rituals. He creates the rituals with the group on the spot. And they're really powerful because they're in the moment. Are there elements to the rituals that you can see across the different rituals? Sure. Repetition. There's a mythology that the ritual symbolizes that is shared by the people. There are elements to rituals that are important, including some rituals that are handed down over generations that still have a lot of power. At the same time, look at how many empty rituals we have. There's no power left. There's a form, and you're going to be cast out if you don't follow the form, but the form doesn't have any power anymore. And that's another podcast about why doesn't it have any power anymore. And there can be empty rituals in the moment that don't carry any power either. All of those things can be true. But to me, again and again, that's not an essential element of a religion. And I think religion can take the lead in decolonization. It can stop with the rigid boundaries already. It can loosen up. It can say, we're just cultural. If you live around Rochester, New York, it's kind of like living around Rochester, New York. This is what we tend to share. But you don't have some something on it that says, oh, this is so special. And uh, we have, to, I think, we have to decondition ourselves from that kind of thinking. And you don't do that by staying in a box. You know, keep the library. But, you know, loosen up with the entry already, you know? So Margo and then Joel. Margo? Boy, there's so much here, but I want to stay with what I was originally thinking when I raised my hand. Something very interesting started happening in the last century. And it was the, actually the upshoot of a lot, offshoot of a lot of upheavals that were going on. Because of the Russian, and it, this is going to sound like it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's not. Because of the revolution, Russian revolution, a whole slew of rough, Russian Orthodox theologians and uh, clergy fled and wound up in Paris, where they set up, you know, little churches or communities because they didn't have buildings and all that. But at any rate, they also started interacting with Roman Catholic and some Protestant people. They brought a whole bunch of stuff that had been lost in the Western tradition with them. During the 60s, when um, people, there was a sort of awakening and a whole slew of, of young people hiked over to India and eventually to Nepal and other places because they couldn't find a religion that taught them how to find the spiritual 
at home. Meanwhile, the Chinese had invaded Tibet and whole slews of lamas and geshes and high-ranking teachers fled and began to disperse to the West, bringing with them knowledge, spiritual training, spiritual practices that we had, had never had access to, okay? In the various, just to take three examples, in the various uh, civil rights and ecological rights battles that have been going on over the last uh, part of the previous century and the early part of this, people actually started listening to Native Americans and learning from them about how to relate to nature and about spirituality. These are just three examples. Our world has gotten very much smaller and very much more interconnected. As a person of faith with a small f, I don't believe this is an accident. I really think there is a movement in the universe to try to bring us together. And many of us have had the opportunity for the first time really ever to be exposed to different perspectives, different religious traditions. Um, and two things have happened. One is techniques have been brought, spiritual technologies, so to speak, have been brought to bear, which different people in different, have shared. And so they've infiltrated. If you go down to the Abbey of the Genesee, a great, at least up until recently, I don't know what it's like now that they've remodeled, a great deal of it looked like a Zen temple. That was Eastern influence. It didn't just pop up. And Vatican II encouraged that. You know, there has been major sea changes within religious denominations and a change in the spiritual and religious landscape as a whole. And again, it's these people bringing the spiritual technologies and sometimes discovering places of contact. Mindfulness. If you talk to somebody who really is familiar in the Eastern Orthodox Church, that's a very ancient practice of the uh, early desert monks and fathers and mothers who fled once Rome took over Christianity called nepsis, mindfulness, paying attention to your thoughts. This is a spiritual practice. So if I wanna be spiritual, where do I go to learn this stuff? Now I have access to all kinds of things. They all came out of religious movements. So I think there's a, a great coalescence of things. And an opportunity to see how many of how to find our commonality through these things. When a Tibetan Buddhist teacher talks about the Dharmakaya, the emptiness, this vast, luminous space from which all things arise, and you listen to them really go on and on, as one of my teachers says, effing the ineffable, then it starts to sound an awful lot about like what John of the Cross was talking about in some of his writings. So there's a spiritual reality. There are ways of approaching it. And those ways are interacting. And I think a great deal of what we're talking about, about the freedom people are experiencing now, the way they're seeking arises out of that. And to me, that's the one of the few things that gives me hope right now, is that all of these things somehow are bringing up the spiritual in a way that I think is marvelous. I learned mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn at a psychiatric intensive conference. And Dharmakaya sounds a lot like the quantum improbability state. So boundaries are coming down. Does this mean you and I were agreeing actually? 
Yes, I think Western thinking is very dualistic. And whenever some, I or anyone else makes a dualistic statement, I break out in hives. Again, truth is paradoxical in most at the deepest level. Is light a wave or a particle? The Tibetans again talk about a bird needing two wings to fly with. So again, that's why I want an intermediate language thing between dead institutional code, purely structural and formal religion, and spirituality. Because first of all, they're not dual fighting entities. Yeah. So yeah, we're all in agreement. We're just nuancing and trying to find vocabulary. And of course, reflecting our own personal experiences in there too. Joel? So I, I've been trying to really deconstruct uh, the conversation in a way that makes sense to me. Sort of like a place that I'm at right now is that spirituality, I think names for spirituality, Jesus called it truth with a capital T, the unseen and Buddhism and Sufism, Dharma and Hinduism and Buddhism, God and Judaism, this emptiness that is reality is not a concept. It is reality. And it's the reality that it can't pervade because there's nowhere that it's not. <laughs> so with that being said, when we try to honor and appreciate it, we have religion. And really, what is religion? Like I've thought about this. Religion doesn't exist outside the psychology of a human being. Each individual, religion is psychology, and psychology, in a certain sense, is religion. So when we talk about broad sweeping strokes of religion is this or that, we're also talking about broad sweeping strokes of like psychology that's individual and specific to each person, which both means that the tendencies are probably overgeneralizations, but that we have the power to, as individuals, shift, monitor, and change that relationship to religion through our psychology. And I think what religion is bridged by is psych psychology because it's a, the bridge of the truth with a capital T through the human incarnation into action in the world, which seems part of the point of this. I think a Zen student or teacher once said, the universe wants to know itself through you. What is that? Like, what is being expressed there? So, and it's nothing other that's, it's just your original home. It's your original abode. It's your original dwelling place. And, and then this concept of din, I, I, I feel, is a beautiful concept that is related. The bridge is itself psychology, that sort of like din and psychology together with spirituality, manifest appropriate religion. Thank you. So you mentioned Dharma. There was a question that came in of discussing Dharma and consider it in regard to the ideas that have been suggested. And I think you were touching on that. Can you say a little more about what you meant by Dharma, Joel? Dharma is the, the fruition of incarnation after incarnation, it's recognition, realization, manifestation, and implementation. To manifest dharma is to eradicate one's own ego. It's the same as like budo. If you're at all familiar with concepts, the Japanese concept of bushido or budo, it's there's no external enemy. There's no external opponent, but the, the craft or art is to master oneself to a place where you recognize that while necessary to relate to people in the world in a healthy way, 
ego can be very problematic in the senses of uh, separation, us versus them, and collectively very problematic in, in a lot of ways which have already been discussed. So Dharma or truth is what we are. And in this incarnation, we have this aspect of psychology called ego or, or identity, which separates us and creates a, a, a feeling of specialness. But our relationship to our relationship to Dharma is only impeded by our own inability within ourselves to see ourselves clearly. Everything is truth. Everything God is everywhere. Buddhahood, Buddha nature, Buddha, Buddha meaning perfect. This, this the sutras say. From the very beginning, not a thing exists. So what is this? Thank you. I had first learned Dharma as a tra translating into truth with a big T. And then I learned it as duty, which always bothered me until I translated duty into purpose. When I find the purpose for my incarnation, yes, that's what I hold on to. So again, I, I guess I'm the one who wants to be provocative here. I think institutional religion, more than spirituality, gets in the way of that. It's telling me who I am. It's consolidating an identity that I've been conditioned to think. And when I break out of that, I have a greater chance of finding my purpose if I don't fragment. And then why, well, what, if, if people fragment, doesn't that mean they need religion? No, they fragment because they've been conditioned. This is going to sound very much like James Hillman. They fragment because they've been conditioned to think they need it. And we're too fearful, you know? And it's like, when you can get through that, it's like a weight's lifted from your shoulder. You mean, really? That's me? And not the little me that you're talking about. We're going to have a workshop in a few months on what the ego means, too. So that might be an interesting thing to segue into at some point. But it's like, yeah, it's more open. I don't have that imposed boundary anymore. Not that I don't have a boundary. Going back to what Odin said before, yeah, the boundary is, yeah, just remember there's something greater than all of us. And there's a way of relating to that. We can have a relationship with that that's really important from a provocative standpoint. I'm doing this to the extreme. I think religion, for the most part right now, is getting in the way of that. And we're so conditioned to think we need it that we freak out, and that prevents us from maturing and thinking for ourselves in connection with more and more of us, not just the people we're comfortable with, not just the people who share our particular belief system, but interacting with more and like Margaret was saying. And when Margaret introduced herself in the last podcast, she had such a diverse background. And remember me, I had such a narrow background. I paid a price for my narrowness. I didn't have to have that. And my Roman Catholic, Catholic upbringing conditioned me to be that way until I got brave enough, I don't know if brave is the right word, I got irritated enough to say, there's something wrong with this. What's going on? So 
I hope that answered the question that the person wrote in about Dharma, different ways of thinking of it. So Tanya, and then Ode, and then Margot. Tanya? When we talk about, when I hear you talking about institutionalized uh, religion, and, and we've been talking about that, right, how toxic it has been, how it's based on control, how it's based on this verticality that um, uh, I'm up here, you're down there, I'm right, you're wrong, that kind of dynamic. So that is not religion then. That, in my perspective, is not religion. So it's like religion is death. We just have power. We have uh, politics, we have people in power, and, and all, in my perspective, in my feminist perspective, it all comes from patriarchy that all come from, from this toxic masculinity that is embedded in, 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 every, in, in every aspect, not only in the, in, the, in the West, but now in the whole world. Like we see, we see these, these systems, right? And, and it's embedded in, in like not only religion, but in all the, the institutions and all the, the systems, right? And we can learn a lot, you know, from, again, from indigenous cultures that they still, keep some sort of, you know, uh, balance between the female and, and the masculine. But I, and then I was reflecting on what Joel said about uh, religion being a part of, of the psyche, a part of who you are. And, and I was thinking that like uh, also, uh, not only at the individual level, right, but the collect, collective psyche that bring us all together in that sense, I will say that religion is connected to culture. And since it's connected to culture, then it's not meant to be static or be like inside of the box. If we see religion, um, indigenous religions, we see constant transformations, constant transformations. Uh, actually, when uh, you know one group, like for, for example, the Maya and the Aztecs came together, it was like, it was not like, oh, don't bring your gods here, right? Like the, the gods merged, right? And uh, they kind of build a new identity because culture is always transforming. Now, that doesn't mean that they didn't have the concept of unity, the concept of the one God, right? They had a, a concept, it was called Omete, Ometeotl. Ometeotl was the one, like one energy, one source of everything. And not, not many people know about it, but they had different gods, but they also had Omete Otl. And that was like the source of everything. So, you know, there was this sense of unity, but there was this sense of, of transforming and, 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 and uh, being in, in constant change. However, in religion, there's also identity, right? I, I mean, it, it is... It goes with what I'm saying that uh, because it's part of your identity, your identity also transforms. So again, like uh, this, this dynamic of I'm right, you're wrong, and being inside the box and not being flexible, that's not in the essence of religion. It's, it's, religion also transforms. So uh, I, I think I cannot have religion without the spirituality. I personally cannot. Have, I would, wouldn't call myself a religious person if I wasn't a spiritual. Yeah. I think the only thing I would quibble about is I heard you say there's religion and then the patriarchy took over, got interested in control and power, and that's not religion. And I would say we had spirituality, 
the patriarchy took over with power and control and created a religion. That's the problem that I have. Everything you're talking about to me is spirituality. And then you share it with people in your culture, but it doesn't have to become, to me, we start with a religion. We start with the essence and then something coalesced around it that might've been cultural and then the patriarchy really came on. But I think the religion is an outgrowth of the patriarchy, but that might just be semantics. So let's see what Ode says. Ode and then Margot. I think it's just fascinating how we're just getting to the core here, but um, so many things to reflect upon. Uh, I wanted to reflect on Margot and then Tanya and then you would do it, but um, Henry, it's all connected together anyways. Um, what really struck me is, Henry, when you say uh, religion is at the root somehow of that oppression, uh, what I hear more is behind what you're saying is hegemony is behind that oppression, not religion itself, right? And so it might be a semantic issue in a sense that we think we're talking about the same thing, first of all, when we talk about spirituality and religion. Here, I think all the panelists are talking about different things. And for um, Tanya, for instance, it, it totally is obvious that when she's referring to Dean, which is a, con a concept I'm very familiar with as well, uh, she's really talking about the ins the inability to separate those practices, what is her Dean, with spirituality, right? So I think for a lot of people, it's inseparable. And I think what we're touching upon here, and going back to what Margot was saying about that it gives her hope in the world, how there's all these movements towards a greater collective consciousness and, and all these movements towards liberation. In the meantime, we also observe all these backlash towards uh, more religious states and uh, what's happening in Iran, what's certainly happening in India as well. And what's happening in, in all these places in the world, in, in the United States, certainly politics is very imbued within that Christian religious extremism as well. So going back to what Tanya was saying, though, which I think is really fundamental and, and, and tying back to what, what I wanted to highlight was, it seems to me like that divide between religion and spirituality might be more of a divide be between uh, the feminine and the masculine, <laughs> for real, because when we're talking about how these religious states are operating and how all of these uh, oppressive frameworks are uh, operating with this leadership. It's always under leadership of men. And we're never highlighting that part. It's almost like we take it for granted that, you know, we essentialize it so much that these uh, oppressive frameworks uh, might be led, might be caused by religion or by ideology or that we forget that they're so much gender-based and how much are the most progressive societies in the world right now are those led by women uh, and how historically speaking, the oppression of or the taking over a monotheistic religion over more polytheistic or indigenous ways of knowing and, and believing is also and has also been historically a, a taking over of, of patriarchal leadership over matrilinear and matrioral, uh, matriarchal uh, lineage. So I think maybe maybe that's the core of the issue that we're we're getting at is that uh, fundamental oppression right now or, or dysfunction I might rather say of the young um, 
over the yin, basically, and, and how the yin has been taken out of the picture for so long that we've essentialized this form of yang as like the only ways that humanities can exist. When in fact, really, it's about reintroducing and, and re-empowering that feminine, which is more about the heart, uh, as opposed to the masculine, which is more about the mind and those ideological uh, debate that we're having right now ceaselessly between spirituality and religion. And we feel like there's there it's it, we, we think we, we mean the same thing, but we don't. And it's this like ceaseless battle of words, right? An ideological battle, but it's still the mind, right? And it's still a battle that's fought in the mind. When in fact, really, the issue might be more about recentering around the heart which, I mean, we know people like, uh, you know, Hazrat Inayat Khan and, and other uh, great leaders, spiritual leaders of, of, of really encourage is that reclaiming of the heart, which is more of a, of a feminine um, center and, and in, at least in, in a lot of indigenous traditions. And, and weirdly enough, they, ha- they all have that loose typology in common, right? And, and that agreement around that 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 framework um the masculine and the feminine and and structured somehow because there were some structure i mean talking about the lakotas uh you you have the men societies the women's societies and it's it's all balanced together in that traditional framework so yeah perhaps that divide between spirituality and religion is more about how do we restore a place for the feminine <laughs> thank you for pointing that i think that's a really good point and my hope is that as we become more balanced, more feminine, and less patriarchal, then there'll be fewer religions. We'll just be more spiritual. That's actually what I think is going to happen. And I personally agree with you. I think the patriarchal way of viewing things is really at the, at the core of that. But again, I go back to religion as I experience it. And I think we talked about it in the first podcast has bought into that hook, line, and sinker. Now, maybe that's because the leadership was male and made religion that way. Okay. But I think as we get more balanced, we're going to see the boundaries start to to not be as rigid. And then maybe we'll call it din. I I don't know. So uh, I think Margot and then Joel. Oh, I love that. That is so true, Aud couple of things, one of which is we also have to be aware of how the different religions have changed and are changing in the last century and this century. What you experienced, Henry, was pre-Vatican II religious education. The church does not teach that way now in most places. The religious ed is actually directed mostly by women, which probably has something to do with it. But the kind of teaching is very, very different now. And I can attest having witnessed it. Beyond that, when the Pope, when the Pope is a woman, I'll listen to you a little bit better. Well, you know what? It isn't going to get there if the women aren't edging their ways in everywhere else as they are now. And the Pope is adopting a more feminine way of uh, running the church. This whole synodality struggle is over exactly that. Is it a circle or is it a pyramid? I don't, you know what I'm talking about, guys? The Pope is trying to say, we're going to start making decisions based on synods. So they're trying to get each continent, each country, each group input from all of the lay people, all of the religious and the clergy, taking it to Rome, summarizing it. The summary is really fascinating. It's all the stuff we would like to see happen. Uh, and then so that it's just, it's a wider, more listening, more universal 
decision making. And the big battle right now is with people who want to go back to the old way and don't want that and see it as very threatening to the usually male ego in the I am the center of the universe and must be defended at all costs thing. That's a side issue. One of the things I have found, you know, in experiencing spiritual practices and particularly meditation at a fairly deep level from several different traditions, religious traditions. Again, I said, when you get to that center, we are talking about the same thing. And we're talking about the same thing that quantum physics is discovering. There's a convergence of all of this stuff. But the vocabulary, most of the practices come out of the spiritual and through that religious sphere. And and the more it gets to approach the feminine, the indigenous, the heart, the non-dual, the closer we are going to be to having some kind of real commonality. I think religions need to transform. But again, I, I too, I would not be involved in a religion that was not spiritual and did not have clear spiritual paths, eventually the path gets transcended. Eventually the ego gets transcended. We need an ego at a certain stage of development to set boundaries and so forth. Then we have to go through like giant two-year-olds, the discovery that we're not the center of the universe and stop resisting that. And then we suddenly discover that we really are in some profound sense, you can only experience, and to talk about it always sounds like babble, We are one with everything and with one another. There is no separation. There is no isolated. Nothing is isolated and no one. To Um, me, that's not religious. That's very mystical and spiritual. It could be in a religion. I agree with you. That's not what religion promotes. It's Well, how are you going to learn it? If you're a little little two-year-old going to grow up, where are you going to learn this? You learned it from John Kabat-Zinn, who learned it from the Buddhist tradition, for example. That's true. He did do that. So... One way or the other, religion is there. No, I've been been conditioned. I've been conditioned to think it has to be that way. I'm not. Where are you going to go to learn it? Where are you going to go to learn it? Go to the library. Well, where and what what in the library contains it? The religion. Okay, the religion is the library. Fine. But that's what it. But you need that library. If it's presented as a library. Right. That's not how it's presented. Well, again, you know, no. that is where the ego constructs, the patriarchal constructs come in. Right. Okay. And, right. I don't have any argument with that. I think the patriarchy is at the root of a lot of the difficulties. <laughs> patriarchy is at the root of all right. of it. Right. <laughs> and it's heavily embedded in religions. Well, it is, but it's embedded in a heck of a It's embedded in politics. It's embedded in education. Correct. Um, one, one other thing, I think, looking at Iran, looking at Russia, I think one of the critical things, and it hasn't happened, and that's one of the reasons religion has taken on some of the darker aspects, the separation of church and state is vital for religion to serve a real function. And I'm using state here to include the patriarchal structure. But you can see in India, in Iran, as soon as you get the power of the state, uh, you also get all kinds of bad things happening. And our own West, our Western European history showed that. I mean, essentially wars were fought and people were killed over what the meaning of is is. 
this is the Eucharist is the presence mm -hmm. of Christ. What does that mean? Let's have a war. Right. And we see that here. Politics has taken on the nature of religion, not in the sense of connecting us with the spiritual or the mystical, but in the sense, the sense of being that I'm right, I'm wrong thing in a great deal of places. And it is abusing the name of religion. Yes. In India, here in Russia. Yes. So, yeah. That was a scattershot. I will now mute. <laughs> Hold on for a second. I want to see what's in the chat. So there was two things. And then, Joel, maybe you can address some of this, too, after you make your comments. Where in religion could the symbol of the cross be accepted to be burned on the yard of a person of color? Perhaps spirituality might not merge the symbolism in this way. And then uh, Ode says, I think the way to tell the difference is by identifying when the faith framework does not encourage and starts to condemn and punish thinking, reflecting, questioning. For example, my experience with the hand slapping and so many other examples. Right. I think we're getting to some consensus. Joel? Yeah, well, this is, uh, it's interesting terrain. I think Basira's question about, you know, that expression of hate, a person's expression or a community's expression of hate toward another person is through the vehicle in this instance of religion, the symbol of the cross and Christianity. But unfortunately, the hate probably predates Christianity and hopefully not, but will probably be there after <laughs> Christianity runs its course. It's a part of our human condition, our, the, the mix and meld of darkness and light. And I think the point of Moses, Jesus, Krishna, Buddha all coming was to teach how to temper that, how to manage that, and how to tame it in a way where it becomes diminished. And so I, I, we see it, we see it in so many different ways. It's in every, when we formalize things, and, and I think that this touches Henry very deeply, and it's sort of the resistance that Henry has toward religion. And I don't mean to speak for you, but it's sort of the sense that I get, Henry, that the problem with religion is the the problem of certainty versus questioning, or uh, psychology barnacling itself in a way that it is certain, versus the open, inclusive, all-pervading nature of spirit, which is really what we are. And that interplay is a constant, chronic battle that goes on, which I think is the true. Forgive me for going here, but like the true meaning of jihad is not. It's the battle of the holy war within oneself to conquer the evil inclination or the dark nature or the the the, the wolf of darkness, um, however you want to frame that. And so, but that's not really what I want. I raised my hand because I wanted to just offer this sort of as, as a, a thought that I had that really when we talk about the imbalance of the feminine and masculine and the patriarchy and all the manifestations of like masculinity gone muck, <laughs> which is pervasive every place and has been going on for a long, long time. I really feel like as I was thinking about this, that it stems from like a disconnect from, from nature. Like when we return to nature, things naturally return to a kind of balance. The feminine and masculine have an interplay, but this consumerism, this ownership, propriety, thought of ownership, thought of amassing things and owning them and having more uh, tends to be something that has contributed to the patriarchy, I think. And I just wanted to offer that as thought. Thank you. So Margot 
and then we're just gonna we're gonna have to bring this to a close. I used to use this on my college students all the time, and it would be well for everybody that is doing anything in a religious setting to be aware of. The opposite of faith is not doubt or questioning. The opposite of faith is certainty, the demand for certainty. Faith is trust. I trust in the universe. I trust in the love the creator has for all beings. Certainty doesn't need to trust, and therefore it's a refusal to trust. It's a refusal to allow for there to be anything we don't know. And I think that is probably the greatest category mistake in anything to do with religion or spirituality. I love that. Thank you. So I'm going to offer the challenge to each of the panelists to just your last thoughts in just a couple of minutes since we have to close. Well, we could talk about this for days, weeks, months, years. Ode, can you go first? Wow, that is a challenge. Um, yeah. A couple of minutes. Two minutes. Yeah, no, I just wanted to reflect on, uh, yeah, two minutes. <laughs> Joel said separation from nature because I think for me it's really at the center. Uh, the separation of nature is really where it all where it all started, where the masculine t- started taking a role beyond its boundaries, and that basically started this um, movement towards accumulation material accumulation in fact the masculine was the power to gather and so that power to gather can be empowering and it is essential an essential force in the world that can be very positive when harnessed in in respectful way but when it starts going beyond its boundaries it becomes led by greed and eventually uh, reaches those structural and starting taking that shape of of the, the monstrosity that religion um, is the moral justification of, which is uh, that endless greed system in which we are bound right now, which is why, as we saw, that question of religion is indistinguishable from that question of capitalism and that question of patriarchy. And so I think for me, uh, bringing back the spiritual into the world is about reclaiming that feminine truth in ourselves as women, as men, and learning to uh, how relate to nature and de- redevelop these frameworks of relational, relational cosmologies and cosmogonies, which were bountiful and plentiful uh, before that that event, those events starting phagocyting or completely, <laughs> completely uh, changing into uh, gemonizing basically those patriarchal frameworks, and so reclaiming within ourselves those feminine truth, I think, is the way to go. And to me, that's beyond, it goes beyond that divide between spirituality and, and religion. Thank you. Well said. Tanya? Absolutely, yes, to what I would say. <laughs> uh, we, have to, we have to go back to the divine feminine. We have to reclaim the divine feminine. We have to bring the divine feminine into our thinking doesn't matter what thinking we have, doesn't matter what culture we're from, we have to, a way to go back to our roots is, is going back to the divine feminine. I think our duty too, and well, at least my duty also, because I'm in this mental health counseling journey, is to be respectful and to not only respectful, but to honor and appreciate every religion, 
and every uh, background. Like I love Christianity, Judaism, and all the religions, uh, indigenous and not indigenous, just, you know, I think religions can provide, as Henry said, a library of knowledge. And being uh, respectful and, and honor and uh, uh, those religions is also going to make us more tolerant towards other cultures. Thank you. Joel? Well, I, I know that uh, it's a Jewish, I don't know if it's even a mystical teaching, it's Jewish teaching that redemption for humankind comes through the feminine. And I think that that's what we're touching on here, that within every human being resides the aspects of masculine and feminine, yin and yang. And um, that intuitive self has been a fundamental component of my own journey. And it was very clouded for me for, for a long time. And, you know, I'm still trying to add uh, logs to it to increase its, its volume and my understanding of it to guide me. And that's my own feminine aspect. And so I think it's really vital just to start there to understand that in every human being, whether non-binary man or woman, that we have this blended aspect of both sides, which both need to be nurtured, fostered, cultivated, and understood to be expressed in a balanced way. Thank you. Margo? Oh, I love this. I love this. It seems to me we're talking, it's almost like we have this this large sphere that has sparkling facets all over it. And somebody chips some of those away and we're pulling them back in and trying to bring them together and then look at all of these different facets. So we're all really converging in that way. And it's just so beautiful. And I think I really, I agree uh, with Carl Rahner, who was the theologian I was trying to think about before, only I would expand it. He said, the Christian of the future will be a mystic or he will not be a Christian at all. I believe the fully human person of the future will be a mystic or they will not exist. So that whole rebinding of what has been lost and broken and wounded, refusing to be dualistic, but seeing in a holistic manner, bringing that feminine wisdom, but all of that is the vital task. And it's so beautiful to have everybody talking about that and all of us looking at these things and our vocabulary differs, our perspective differs, but they all come together. That is just so marvelous. Thank you, Martin. I think so too. And I, I think, I don't know about for all of you and those listening to this, this isn't just intellectual. It's not for me at least. This is really experiential. And I don't think it's an accident that we started off with spirituality and religion and we get around to patriarchy. And I'm glad, Joel, you brought up the whole realm. It's not just feminine and masculine, it's non-binary. We don't have the words for this. We're, we're struggling with that, with that. It's my hope that what we call religion could take the lead in showing us what Margo was just talking about. Now, I think that that's mysticism. I think that's spirituality. That's not religion. 
to do what we have summarized, I think religion is not going to look the way it's going to look the way it's looked now or in the past. It's going to be something very different. The closest I can come to in my experience is what Margot said, what really what we all said, something more balanced, something more open, not just tolerance, but real love and respect, learning from each other. So we've all talked about this in our own way. We've all talked about, well, you know, I incorporate Dzogchen into this and I incorporate my, my Christian background into my present Buddhist and I'm incorporating my psychology experiences into what I call my spirituality. Yes. Is that religion? I don't think so. But I'm willing to think it's not the religion that's being promoted right now. Something new is coming. And that's why I think this kind of discussion is so important. It's not just semantic. It's not just intellectual. I think discussions like this and bringing our feelings and our passions into this like we did, that's bringing something into the world. I think the frightening thing is fundamentalist, religious, perhaps, uh, see that as a threat. I see it as an opportunity, but that's, that's, you know, there are different viewpoints on that. And that's where I think we're really, we're really struggling. I go back to my developmental perspective, which is the more mature we get, whether you think of personality, psych psychologically, like you were saying, Joel, if you think of moral development, if you think of cognitive development, all we've learned from modern psychology is the more mature you get, the more you get less caught by form, the more you learn what the principle behind it is, and that's what you hold on to, not the form. So we're in a toddler phase. Maybe we're growing up to be adolescents where we're beginning to question all of this and all the turmoil that comes with adolescence that's the turmoil we're going through. But potentially, it's a step towards maturity where we're really trying to find what's the balance? What's the essence of what we're talking about? And not get caught in some form. Form is just, oh, I recognize it and I'm comfortable, but that's not the be all and the end all. So I want to, uh, one more, maybe the next time we could bring in ceremonies, sure ceremonies and ceremonies of the divine feminine. So I want to thank all of you. I find it really passionate and exciting. And hopefully we demonstrated we could have a real interchange with feelings and passions and agreements and disagreements. And, and you know, the, the title of these podcasts is Alchemical Dialogues. Through honest discussion and dialogue, something happens that's transformative. That's alchemy. Something breaks through. And hopefully that's something that we've contributed to. I would love to continue this in the future. So please stay in touch with each other. And thank you all. Thank you again. If you find yourself enjoying our podcasts, please do us a favor and spread the word. Tell a friend about it. Give us a review on iTunes or post it on social media. 
If you or someone you know would like to participate in a future podcast, please connect with us through the Contact Us page. See our events calendar page for dates to our next live podcast recordings. We'd love for you to participate and ask questions. And be sure to check out Joel Lessie's podcast, Unraveling Religion, on your favorite podcast app. Alchemical Dialogues are live and unscripted conversations recorded on Zoom, brought to you by the great folks of Amber Light International, a nonprofit organization co-founded by Henry Curtella, MD, and Kathleen Fitzpatrick, LCSW. We choose topics from our current social and cultural climate with an emphasis on humanism and spirituality.